Good morning. You look good this morning. What a wonderful morning to be in worship, to be in the Lord's house. It's going to be a beautiful day today. So glad to be with you. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And man, you guys look good today. I'm just, I'm just, this is better than average looking crowd today. I'm just saying. You, just look, you look good. I don't know what to say. <laughs> Especially you, Harold. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, you know, I was flipping the channels the other day. And I don't know if you've ever seen these gambling tournaments. You ever seen that? There's these tournaments. It's so funny because it's kind of like ESPN. They have commentators always, I wonder what hand he's going to play here. I mean, it's like they're following play-by-play of a gambling tournament. Now, I'm not a gambler. I don't gamble. I don't play cards. In fact, I always forget the rules to spades and all that. I don't even play Uno. I'm I'm no good at that stuff, right? I don't know what hands win. I don't know uh, what hands go, what stuff goes with other stuff. I don't know. But what's interesting is in these tournaments and in in gambling, sometimes you'll see somebody, they'll choose to go all in, right? It's a very tense moment. It's very exciting. And and what they're doing is they're saying, you know what? I'm going to take all of my money, all of my winnings, and I've got one shot here. I'm all or nothing. And so they basically what they do is they take all of their earnings, all their winnings, or whatever the case may be, and they put it in one direction, and they sure hope that it wins. If it wins, they not only win all of their money, they win everybody's money. And if they lose, they lose everything, right? I don't know how many 007 movies have this kind of a moment, nail-biting moment, where he has to win, you know, and he usually does. And these moments are interesting and exciting, but I got to tell you, it's not a good way to live your life. It's not smart to live life as a gamble. And many of us do. Many people probably even in this room today are living life as a gamble. And this is what I mean. This is the game. They say, you know what? I believe that one day when I die, I just believe that my good is going to be good enough that God lets me into heaven. That's a dangerous gamble. See, they think that somehow in, God, in heaven, God's got this sort of cosmic scales of good versus bad. And that the hope is, oh man, I sure hope my good outweighs my bad. Uh, I've never murdered anybody. I've never killed anybody. That's what everybody says, right? I've never done really that many bad things. And so, therefore, hopefully my goods will outweigh my bad. By the way, I don't even know where this comes from. What false religion says such a thing. But it's definitely not of the Bible and it's not of God. And it is a lie, and it is for sure a dangerous gamble for you to take with your, not only with your money, gambling is not a smart thing to do in the first place, it's not smart to do it with your life, and it's sure not smart to do it with your eternity. And yet many people do it every single day. You know, the thing about being good, we say, I'm pretty good, good person. The thing about being good, it's kind of the same word in the Bible as holy. And the thing about holiness is it's kind of like a link, a chain link, a link of chain, right? I don't know if you've used those for a fishing boat or to tie up your bike or whatever the case may be. But what they say about chain link is that it's only as good as its weakest link, right? So if you're pulling something with a chain or you're trying tying something up with a chain and, and one of the links of the chain fails, then the whole chain fails, That's the way holiness is. Holiness is not 99.9% holy, right? Like antibacterial stuff, right? No, no, no. 
It's either 100% holiness or it's not holiness at all. And so that's the situation that we're dealing with today. Paul is going to show us a couple of different ways to live. He's going to lay before us a life of works or a life of grace. But let me just tell you, if you're walking and wanting to choose a life of works, let me tell you, in the Old Testament, in the book of the law, in the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, there's 613 commands of Scripture. That's a lot. 613, right? And the thing about living under works, the thing about living under, I think I'm good enough is, oh, okay, if you're good enough, then you've got to live by those works, and you've got to live by every single one of those works. Don't make one mistake. Don't make one, one mistake because then you have to live and die by that decision. Let me ask you a question. Are you good? Are you living sort of in a way that you say, I'm, I'm pretty good. I think I've got this figured. I haven't killed anybody, right? 613. Let me ask you some specific questions to help us think about this question. Have you ever, uh, have you ever lied? This is, don't answer, this is rhetorical, okay? Have you ever lied? Have you ever had greed in your heart? Have you ever thought, man, I really want that thing that that guy's got and you just can't think about anything else? Have you ever lusted in your heart for another person? Let me go ahead and answer these questions for you and me. Yes, you have. <laughs> right? We all have. We've all sinned. We've all made mistakes. We are all guilty of these things. And you're not good. And the thing is, is God is not looking for good people. He's looking for perfect people. And it changes that thought process. God is not looking for good people. He's looking for perfect people. And you're not perfect Romans 3, I believe it is, 9 through 12, says this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, everyone, all, both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless no one does good, not even one. That's why Paul, in this series we've been in, Faith and Freedom, is, is, is saying this over and over. He's trying to make this point clear to the Galatians that salvation is, is given to us by grace, not by something we've worked for. We're not good enough to earn this. And so it's given to us through faith, right? When we believe God, is who he says he is, will do what he says he will do. We believe God, we have faith that by his grace he saves us. And Paul is hammering home. I don't know if you feel that. He's hammering home this message over and over. And because he does, we are. Every week we're talking about what he's talking about. And today we're going to go a little bit deeper in what it means for Christ to take our place. I love that song we sang at the end of just always a mundane in that song. Lamb of God in my place. That's what he did for us. Paul keeps continuing to hammer home this message 
that we don't earn salvation. Jesus has done the work for us. And he cried out on the cross, it is finished. The work is done. Amen? But these false brothers are teaching a different gospel. And so Paul continues to make his argument for grace over works. Look with me in your word, if you would. Galatians 3, verses 9 to 14. We covered 9 last week, but I thought it gave us a little bit more context into our text this week. So we're going to read 9 as well. Verse 9, so then, those who are of faith are blessed. In other words, saved, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Verse 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Would you pray with me this morning as we pray? and? get into this text. God, you're so good. Lord, thank you for salvation by grace. Hallelujah, Lord, that we don't have to work. We don't have to earn this. We couldn't if we tried. And if we try, Lord, it's a life of cursing. Lord, would you help us to learn to live and to walk down the road of blessing, to trust that the work has been done by Jesus to live that way, to think that way, to serve that way. Thank you for your grace, oh God. Thank you for your willingness, Jesus, to take our place, to become sin for us, to become a curse for us. Focus our hearts on you, Spirit of the living God. Lead us and guide us to all truth. And Lord, please anoint me. Help me to stay out of your way for what you want to do in the work and the lives of your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week at the end of our text, verses 8 and 9, where we talked a little bit about the fact that these, these words justified and blessing, have, they kind of mean the same thing. They mean salvation, right? So if we're to reread uh, verse 9, it reads like this. So then those who are of faith are saved, along with Abraham, the man of faith, Right? The same salvation that Abraham, because of faith by grace, we have if we know Christ. Uh, Paul's then going to go into this two different lifestyles options, right? He's going to show us there's two ways to live. I couldn't help but think about uh, the Robert Frost poem, The Road Not Taken. Now, when I say that, some of you are such good students, and my, I promise you my wife right now is trying to recite that whole poem. How many of you had to memorize that poem? So every time I even mention this poem, she starts about 90 miles, you know, an hour, trying to recite the whole thing. I love this poem. If you're not familiar with it, it's beautiful. It's not that long, but the whole point of the poem is to say that there's two choices in life. And Frost describes these two roads, these two paths. One is really, really overgrown, right? And one is not. One is trampled. One has uh, obviously been used before. Talks about the fact that many will take this path. Sounds like scripture. Many will take this path that's well-worn, and a few will take the one that's not so worn. 
the very end, he says, I will take the road less traveled, and it'll make all the difference in me. Can I just tell you that's the Christian life as well? You have choices to make. You've got a choice to make today. We're going to talk about it before we go. You have a choice to choose works. I got this. I'm good. I can handle this. Or you can choose grace. Jesus already handled it. But each of us have the choice to make. How are you going to live? Which road are you going to take? What is going to be your life? One is a blessing and the other is a curse. One you live by works, the other you live by faith. Verse 10 says this. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. I want you to look at that word, little word rely just for a moment. The idea of this word is, is th- that you can trust it. When you rely on something, you trust something. This summer, my family went on vacation, and we went uh, to this little place in Florida. And it's a little one-bedroom condo, and on the side of the condo was this tiny little wooden staircase. And I remember walking up with, you know, bags. And by the way, I'm not a small person. Just, uh, you may not know that. I'm sort of a large person. Um, I'm working on it, but still a large person. And I, I'm carrying these two suitcases, so I'm fairly, I'm a lot larger now that I've got these two suitcases. I get to the staircase and I look up. You skinny people don't have to do this. Y'all just don't think about this, ever. But I'm standing at the bottom of the staircase and I look up and it's a rickety old staircase. And I'm like, huh, uh-uh. And I kind of look, I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the structure, the integrity of the structure. <laughs> and I see this really thick beam that's cut in the middle. And I see the screws where the beam uh, and, the, and the treads come together. Well, guess what I do? I pick up those suitcases and I walk the balance beam. Because I was not willing to rely on the wooden steps. I wasn't willing to put my weight on these steps, these wooden steps. I wasn't willing to trust it. And every time, she didn't even know this, every time I went up and down those stairs, every time, I'm not going to trust those stairs. This is what this verse is saying. Paul's saying, are you willing to trust your life? Are you willing to put all the weight of eternity in your, your life, your family, your health, everything about you on the faulty ground of living by works under the law because we all rely on something what do you rely on he's saying don't rely on the works because if you do rely on a life of works you're going to be under a curse and then he alludes to this verse in deuteronomy 27 says cursed this is what it says in deuteronomy 27 26 cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of the law by doing them now i want to give you the context of this verse There's Moses, there's the nation of Israel. He brings them to this valley, and on one side is Mount Gerizim, on the other side is Mount Ebal. And these mountains represent the blessings and curses of God. And Moses has uh, tribal leaders, half go up on this mountain, half go up on this mountain. And just imagine a million uh, Israelites in the valley floor below. And the the Levitical priests are going to shout out over the people the commands of God. Right? They're shouting out, curse be anyone that, that, that makes a, a graven image. Right? They're these kind of things. And at the end of each of these commands, it says, and everyone shall say amen. And in my mind, when I picture that, I just picture this whole valley floor of Israelites shouting, 
Amen. This huge echoing off the walls. You know, sometimes people say amen in a message or different places. What they're saying is, so be it. That's the truth. They're saying, let it be like what you just said. That's what amen means. So as the people are at the valley floor below and, and the curses are being read out and they're taking this in going, oh, he's talking, they're talking about us, right? We will be cursed if we do that thing. Uh, amen. And they've come off these miracles of God and they want to serve the Lord and they, they're okay to say amen after each command. Amen after each curse. Amen. Paul references the very last verse of this moment. He says, Cursed be anyone who does not confirm all the words of this law by doing them. And you wonder if the amen sounded a little different. Amen? Right? Amen? Amen? Ah. What it's saying is, you have to do them all. When it comes to living this way, when it comes to following these laws, you got to do them all. It's all or nothing. You have to do them all. And if you don't, you're cursed. The last verse of this chapter is making it very clear. It's not just the curses going down one by one, but if you don't keep even one of these, you're cursed. You know the word cursed means to be granted all that is bad. To be granted all that is bad. On the other opposite end of the spectrum is Blessed. To be granted all that is good. Right? They're opposite ends of the spectrum. And Paul is saying here, if your trust is in keeping the law, if your trust is in walking, trying to do your best to, to meet each of these things, you're going to be cursed. Why is he saying this? Because we cannot do it. It can't be done. You cannot keep the law. It's impossible to keep the law. It's impossible. Verse 11, Paul says that very thing. He says, now it is evident, right, that no one is justified before God by the law. Paul's saying this. This is obvious, you guys. This is evident. We cannot keep this. It's evident that no one is justified by keeping the law. No one can. It's impossible. It won't happen. Why would you even try? It's evident that no one is justified before the law, before God, by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, right? It's works. The one who does them shall live by them. Let me, let me show you this. There's a purpose for the law is twofold. The purpose of the law is, number one, to show that God is holy. Remember, 100%, not 99.9. .9. So if God comes off of his holiness, even just the slightest bit for us or for some other reason, he stops being holy, right? There's no, uh, there's no negotiating. You can't, you can't come off even a little bit. God is holy, and these standards have to equal complete perfection. God's not looking for good people. He's looking for perfect people because God is perfect. He's holy. The law shows us that God is holy, and there's, there's no way around it. The other thing that the law shows us is that we are not. And there's no way to be. We can't be holy. We can't live up to this. It's evident, Paul says. This is obvious. As he's saying this to the Galatians, he's saying, come on, you've had those thoughts, haven't you? 
You've walked out these wrong actions, haven't you? Everybody's going, and all of us are going, yeah, right? We can't do it. And because we can't do it, we live under a curse. My little girl, Joby, she's nine. She's in the fourth grade. We play this little game sometime where she, sometimes she comes up and she grabs, grabs me around the leg. She says, Daddy, I'm going to lift you up. Don't laugh too hard, Larry, there. But I'm, I'm not a small person. And, and all of you know that that's not going to happen, right? <laughs> but we like to play this game. So she grabs me by the leg. She says, all right, here, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And so I go over to one foot, and I just kind of slowly oh, stand up on one foot. Oh, my gosh, you're doing it, you know. Make her think she's doing it. She's not doing it. She's not lifting me up. But it's a fun little game, right? It's impossible for my nine-year-old to lift me up. She can't do it. And yet sometimes she tries. She's, it's fun. I was trying to think of another example. You know, we live out sort of by Pinnacle Mountain, out that direction. And uh, we love that mountain. It's a very beautiful. It's, we love to climb the mountain. It's, it's a beautiful vista up there. It's about 1,000 feet. And uh, it's just a great climb and good exercise. And I started thinking it's kind of like if we were to ask the best pole vaulters in all the world. I'm talking about the record breakers. Guinness Book of World Record Holder Pole Vaulters. Hey, come out to Pinnacle Mountain. we got a big tournament. It's going to be a million-dollar prize. This is going to be amazing. All you have to do is pole vault over Pinnacle Mountain. On your mark, right? They'd be like, what? Are you crazy? This is stupid. This is foolish. It cannot be done. And yet some people who are religious, some people who are legalistic, man, they're going, okay, let's go, right? And they grab their pole and they run and they try to jump and, and they might say something like this. Well, I got 40 feet in there. You only did 20. That's what religious people do. It's impossible to get over that mountain. There's no way. It's not going to happen. And yet sometimes we still try and we look back and down on the people who are not as far as we are. It's legalism. Paul references these two verses in the Old Testament. Habakkuk 2.4 says, after he mentions that we fail if we try to keep the law. Habakkuk 2.4 says, the righteous shall live by faith. He says, but for the one that's trying to keep the law, trying to live by the law by his own works, it has nothing to do with faith. Look what it says here in verse 12. But the law is not of faith. It doesn't take any faith to live by the law. Because it's all on you, right? Just obey But the law is not of faith. And then he references this verse in Leviticus uh, 18, Leviticus 18, verses 4 and 5. The one who does them shall live by them. This is what it says in that verse. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. In other words, if this is the road you choose, you're stuck on that road, buddy. You got to stay on that road. That's the life you've chosen, all or nothing, to follow works of the law. Both of these references reference some way to live, right? One speaks to the believer. One speaks to the doer, right? One speaks to our salvation. The other speaks to our works and how we live and how we do it. One is about trusting Christ and the fact that he's done the work for us. And the other is we think we can do it. But the purpose of the rules and the law of God is to show us the brutal reality that we cannot do it. It's impossible. It's like trying to jump over a mountain. We fail. 
We fall short. We don't measure up. And therefore, we're cursed. I, I love the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5. We're going to have to do a series on the Sermon on the Mount. It's so good. Jesus is speaking to his disciples in Matthew 5. And he references these people who are professional law keepers. I mean, they are, if anybody knows the 613 laws, it's the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus says, if you want to get into heaven, you want to be in the kingdom of God, then you, your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Can you just get in the mindset of the, of the disciples? These are the ones who actually know all 613. They're the ones who live by each one. They, they, how in the world can our righteousness be more than theirs? They're the ones who actually go down the list. They, I mean, they know every little thing about them. How in the world can we do this? And Jesus says, your righteousness better exceed theirs if you want to get into heaven. In other words, they're not going to heaven. And yet your righteousness, righteousness needs to exceed that of theirs. Huh. How are we going to do that? And then he goes on to ramp up this, this idea and this rhetoric a little bit more when he says, hey, you've heard it said that um, thou shalt not commit murder, right? Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, we know that. He says, but I tell you, if you have anger or hate in your heart, you're a murderer. Everybody steps back, what? See, they can say, I haven't killed anybody. Like some of us, I've never killed anybody. Have you ever been angry? Have you ever had hate in your heart for someone? Then you're a murderer, Jesus says. And you know what Jesus is doing in this moment? He's making it so that you go, I'm guilty. There's no way you can get away from it. He says, you've heard, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And, and, and everybody says, oh, I've not done that one. We're good to go. And Jesus says, oh, but I tell you, if you've lusted in your heart for a woman, then you've committed adultery. Nobody can live this way. You're, you're raising the bar. It was already so high, and you're raising it so high that it's, it's absolutely impossible. Yeah. That's the idea. Jesus isn't saying, try harder. He's saying, trust me. We don't try harder because it can't be done. Trust me. It's the whole point. Jesus is saying, you're guilty. You can't get away from what I'm saying here. You can't get, get around this. And yet God says in Leviticus and 1 Peter, be holy as I am holy. And Jesus gives us the answer in the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount when he says, I came to fulfill the law. Right? Jesus says, I've already done it. I have come to fulfill all of the law. I did it for you. That's how. We can't do it, and when we try, we're cursed. Some of you say, how? you keep saying we're cursed. How do you know we're cursed? Let me ask this. Are you going to die? Yeah. Everybody dies. Death is part of the curse. Before you were even born, you were cursed. Sin is a curse. The Bible says in Psalms that even when we were conceived, we were conceived into sin. Before we could even make a choice, before we knew there was a law to keep, before we could even put on our best digs to try and make an effort to keep the law, we couldn't. We were broken, sinful, cursed, defective. 
before a holy God. Here's the good news. Here's the gospel in verse 13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Because we couldn't keep the law, because we can't keep the law, we're cursed. But Christ redeemed us from the curse by becoming a curse for us. I want you to notice, it doesn't say Christ was cursed. You notice that? Some of you may say it's semantics, but I'm, I'm saying it's, it's, it's deeper. It's not that Christ was cursed. It says Christ became a curse. He embodied the curse for us. Yes, uh, when we get saved, when we trust Christ, he takes on all of our sins. But it's not just that Christ is taking these individual sins. He becomes sin itself, and he defeats it. Isn't that the goodness of God? The beauty of the gospel that he became a curse. What Paul is also doing, he's showing these Jewish people uh, in in Deuteronomy 21, it talks about the fact that if somebody commits a a crime that's worthy of death by Mosaic law, that you're supposed to stone them and kill them. And then after you kill them, you take their body and you hang it on a tree. And by hanging somebody's body on a tree, you're, you're showing everyone around that they are rejected by God. They are cursed, as it says in Deuteronomy 21. How did Christ die? He died hanging on a tree. Paul's saying Christ became a curse for us. He didn't just take on these individual sins. He became sin for us. It's that great exchange. He did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. Man, I love this verse. This verse has just messed me up this week. 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to read that again. I want us to take that in, drink that in deep. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I read that over and over this week, trying to get my heart to believe what that's saying. I kept reading it over. Lord, help me to believe this, because as I read these words that I'm your righteousness, It feels foreign coming off my lips because I know me. I know my sinfulness. I know the brokenness of my life. And yet here's the worker still trying to work. And it's not the work. It's Jesus' work. It's what he's done. He has forgiven me. He has made me his righteousness. The theological term here is imputation. The big $2 word that means Christ righteousness became mine and my sinfulness became his. You ever seen that movie, that Disney movie, Freaky Friday? You ever seen that movie? It's a goofy movie. The mom becomes the daughter, the daughter becomes the mom. (laughs) 
and they got to figure out what's going on, right? Christ gave us his righteousness, and he took on himself our sinfulness. Not individual sins, but it says here in Corinthians 5, for our sake, he made him to be sin. that we might become his righteousness. Tim Keller puts it this way. If taking the curse means that he was regarded by God as a sinner, then our receiving the blessing means that we are regarded by God as if we are perfectly righteous and flawless. Can you even take that in? So if taking the curse means that he was regarded by God as a sinner, then our receiving the blessing, salvation, means that we are regarded by God as if we are perfectly righteous and flawless. I want us to say this together. If you know Christ, you can say, I am perfectly righteous. Can you say that? I am perfectly righteous. It feels weird to say it, doesn't it? How can that come off my tongue? Because this is what God tells us we are. By the gift of salvation through Jesus. Verse 14. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Christ died so that the blessing or the salvation of Abraham could come to us. We're the Gentiles. People who are not Jews, Gentiles. He died that we might know him. That we might be saved. Last week I talked about the fact that when, when God saves a soul, he gives us his spirit at the same time. You, you can't have salvation and not receive the spirit of God. And you can't have the spirit of God unless you have salvation. It happens at the same time. It's simultaneous, right? It's synonymous. It's the same thing. And so as we read this, it says, so that in Christ Jesus, those of us that have faith that he is who he says he is, will do what he says he will do. In Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. He's not talking about some secondary thing. He's talking about salvation. That we might have this salvation that Abraham has, right? Can I just tell you something? This is, maybe you haven't considered this. Salvation by grace is not a New Testament theme. Salvation by grace is a biblical theme. Salvation has always been by grace. It's never been by works. As Abraham believed, as Abraham had faith, the Bible says that God credited him, credited to him righteousness, credited him as righteous because he had faith. And praise God that he does the same for us this morning. We can know him. We can be saved through faith. So we close this morning. Listen, I just want to ask you a couple things here. Because the reality is, we each have a serious choice to make. God's blessing brings justification and life. Right? Justification is being made right. God's blessing. You want God's blessing? Of course we do. We want to be made right. We want to have real life. We want to be blessed. To be granted all that is good. But the curse brings condemnation. The law leads us to death. And we each have a choice to make. 
and your eternity is not something to gamble with this morning. I'll stand before you kind of like Moses did in Deuteronomy 30. He stands before the people and he says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. He says, choose this day. But then he, he adds another note, says, but choose life. You had to make a choice. Life, death, blessing, curse, but choose life so that you and your offspring may live. Why would you choose death? Why would you sit in this room today and go, I think I got this covered? Choose life, choose blessing. Choose the work of Christ over your work, which always and always will fall short. It's a gamble of all or nothing. The thing is, is when you're at the gambling table, I guess it's a big matter of chance. You don't know if something's going to happen or not. You might win, you might not win. Listen, today if you trust Christ to be your Savior, and you say, Lord, my life, all or nothing, you don't have to worry about the chance. God loves you. He loves you. He's waiting. All or nothing. Either you're going to live and die by those works and that curse, or you're going to give all of your heart to Jesus. All or nothing. That's what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23. He said, if anybody comes after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will, will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Because can I just, can I be real honest with us this morning? God doesn't want an hour on a Sunday from you. He wants every hour of every day. He doesn't want the change in your pocket for the church. He wants everything you have and everything that you are. And when we give ourselves away to him, he gives us more than we could ever imagine. We live in blessing and life and hope and salvation. And out of that place, then we begin, begin to serve. Oh God, what I want to outgive. I want to outserve. I want to go where you say go. I want to do what you say do. But it's when we're holding on, so when we're trying to do the works, we live under a curse. Some of you say, hey, listen, we've been in this series. Man, we've been talking about this justification thing. We've been talking about the fact that Paul's an apostle. He has the credibility to speak these things. We've been talking about the fact that there's these false brothers trying to change, trying to add these rules to the gospel. When are we going to move on? Right? What's, what's happening here? Can I, can I just break it down in a really... Um, relevant sort of real life sort of way uh, pastor driscoll that i that i really appreciate use this and i'm just going to borrow this from him this morning it's so good let me ask you this question are you a grace oriented person or a works oriented person i'm talking about your relationships because the big thing that matters here is what god has done in you is now going to be reproduced in your life or what you came from can be reproduced in your life, good or bad, blessing or curse. See, works-oriented people do this. They keep records of wrongs. They're never satisfied. You're, it's never enough. 
You, you always want to remind people of their failures. You always want to keep people down. It's called a curse. It's works-oriented. And no one wants to be around those people. You ever worked for that guy? Oh, how, when, when is my shift over? How can I get out of here fast enough? Right? Because I do my best and it's never enough. And we run from those people to grace-oriented people. Grace-oriented people are forgiving. They're understanding. They're patient. They're kind. The Bible says that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. They're loving. They want to be a blessing to your life. Which are you? Are you works-oriented? Are you grace-oriented in your relationships? Because here's, listen, this is even scary. Because depending on who you are, then it begins to filter down into how we parent our children. We parent our children with an iron fist because that's how we were parented. No, I know you did that. I know you did all the things around the house, but you forgot this one thing. You're stupid. Are you works-oriented? It's not enough. Yeah, you got all A's and one B, but what happened? It's not enough. Or are you grace-oriented? Buddy, it's okay. I'm with you. I love you. I forgive you. We can do this together. Which do you want to be? Which family do you want to be in? Which family did you come from? And who are you? Which side? Are you grace-oriented or are you works-oriented? Because if God, the God of grace, has saved you by his grace, he wants you to live and act and move and parent in his grace. We need to be grace-oriented people, not works-oriented people. I'm going to close this morning. Which road are you going to take? Moses says, I set before you, and I do the same this morning. I set before you grace, right? I set before you works, life, death, blessing, curse, and the whole world is going down, majority of the world going down one, one way. Which way will you go? Are you going to follow the world or are you going to follow Jesus? Because it requires a decision. And inaction is a decision. I think I'll wait on this. It is a decision. I'm not convinced. It is a decision. Today, what will you choose? Who will you choose? Why would you choose cursing? over blessing choose life Jesus said I've come to bring you life life more abundantly it's the enemy who wants to steal it's the enemy who wants to kill and destroy Jesus says but my my desire for you is for you to have life would you choose life this morning let's pray Father God we need you so desperately today. God, we need you to help continue to remind us that we haven't worked for our salvation. We never could. And if we try, God, it's a, it's a life of curses. But Lord, the blessing of God is the grace and salvation of God. That through faith we can trust in you, Lord. We can know you. We can love you. We can serve you with joy. 
Because it's that same grace that saves us, that same grace that sustains us, it's the same grace that sanctifies us, God. So that we don't have to work, God, we get to work. We don't have to be in church, Lord, we, we want to be here. We don't have to worship, Lord, we, we have the privilege to come and worship you, God. Lord, if there's one person here this morning that doesn't know you, doesn't know this blessing, doesn't know this life that you give, right now, God, would you convict their hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit? Would you move them, Lord, towards your saving grace in Jesus? God, please. And Lord, if there's believers here today that are still trying to put on the performance, for some weird reason, God, may may their work, may their deeds be done because they love you. They want to make you known because there's such joy you've given them in the grace you've shown them. God, would you help us to be a grace-oriented people and not a works-oriented people? God, would you help us to work with people and be in family with people and parent our children in such a way that we are giving your grace? and that we represent you with how we love, forgive, and serve everyone around us. Father, be present today. Move in our hearts. Give us uh, courage to move, Father, to make decisions that would follow you and serve you. Just say, God, all or nothing, everything I am, I'm in, God. I'm done living for myself. I'm done going down this road of cursing. It never works out. It never has, it never will. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm all in, I'm trusting you. Help me to serve you. Help me to walk with you. Disciple me, Jesus. That's our prayer this morning, Lord. As we sing, as we pray, may you be exalted, oh God, for this wonderful gift of salvation you've given us through Jesus. Oh, how we celebrate it today. Oh, how we smile with every fiber of our being, God, because it's not just a good feeling. It's not just a way of life, Lord. It is for all eternity that you save us. And may we sing today, God, like we mean that, like we know that, like we understand that. May we celebrate these that have chosen to follow you and to walk this path the way the angels in heaven will celebrate them, Lord, and worship you because you're so worthy. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this family. Moving us today, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.